This message is brought to you by House on the Rock Fellowship. We are a church that serves and cares for the Miami Valley region in Ohio. Before you continue, make sure to access the notes from our download section of our message page and have your Bible ready. Thank you for being our guest. Good morning. Uh, let me introduce myself also. My name is Paul. I'm a pastor here, an elder at House on the Rock, and I'm glad that you're here. If you're a guest, thank you very much for coming out and spending the morning with us this morning as we continue through this Christmas season. Last week, the conversation we had about hope, and we lit a candle to remember that God is hope. Jesus has come into our world, and in that, he brings the light of hope. And today we're going to talk about one of the most controversial stories in the Gospel of John and the most controversial Christmas story you'll probably hear all season. And I'm going to need a lot of help to pull this off this morning. So um, just placing that seed right there. Uh, it's controversial for a couple reasons. Number one, this story, if you have a Bible and you look at it in John chapter 8, it has a little note next to it. And it kind of says something like this, not found in the earliest manuscripts. The story that we're going to unpack this morning has long been held to be a part of the Jesus tradition. That this is something that happened in Jesus' life. This is something that he taught. But it was something that never made it into the four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, as they're putting together their Gospel accounts, it kind of got left on the cutting room floor. But for hundreds and hundreds of years afterwards, this story is passed around. The story is taught. The story is recognized as something that happened within Jesus, something that he did. And it's very controversial in how it kind of places us up next to who Jesus really is. Because if you've been setting up some Christmas decorations in your house, maybe you've kind of unpacked a nativity set, a crush like this, and you've got baby Jesus. And who is that? What does he symbolize? Who did he come to be? Who was he that came to earth? Is it just a baby in the manger? Is this a, a cute little mythology? Is it true? What, what, what? The controversy that surrounds how Jesus presents himself in this story, I think can be very ministering to us, while at the same time point a very, very just figure, finger at those who would set themselves up as religious and righteous. So to pull this off, I need a lot of guys. I need, in the, in the last service, I had about 10 guys. I need 10, 12 guys. Specifically, if you have a good beard, that would be really helpful in this. You don't have to. You don't have to have facial. I'm just saying it might help set the stage a little bit. I need guys in their 70s, 60s, 50s, 40s, 30s. If you're in the 20s, it'd be awesome. But I need, yep, Adam, you know you have no choice. Um, <laughs> You just, you have to do it. You're an elder. You've got a great beard on and you have a good suit. So all those things come together. So some I need guys, yep, Douglas, you know, yep, Nathaniel, yep, come on. I got some younger, I also need some older guys. Nick, well done. Well done, thank you. Oh, here's a good beard coming down. Well done. Come on, Mr. Bill, you gonna leave him hanging like that? Come on, Mr. Bill. I just, guys, I need you to cluster over here. Just a big old horde. Yep, just a good old group of 
men, manly. Ah, oh, there, there's, there, yep, I knew it. Well done, well done. Yeah, I need, I got, can I get a few more? Just slide this way a little bit. So I make a couple rows, make a couple rows. There you go, yep, 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 good. I need a few more. Oh, there we go. Yes, 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 good, yes, thank you, thank you. Can I get two more? I need two more. Can I get, oh, oh, dude, she's calling you out. Man, Aaron, she's calling you out. You can't stand for that. You can't stand for that. Okay, awesome. Okay, and yeah. Okay, and we're gonna we're gonna yeah, perfect. Go slide just a little bit there if, if you can. Yeah, I need I need Alice all to be on that side. Okay, awesome, awesome. Oh, look at so you! You are so tall, Douglas. <laughs> Douglas is so tall, so tall. Well done. Okay. <laughs> we're gonna flip you two just because. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, nothing personal. Yeah, yeah, no, you don't have to be directly behind him. But <laughs> all right, and now I need a young woman, somewhere maybe in her teens to early twenties. Okay, a young teenage woman, please. Okay, yeah. I was voluntold. You were, yes, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's awesome, okay. <laughs> Let me uh, read the story for you. What I believe to be an amazing Christmas story because into this young woman's darkness and hopelessness, the God of love is going to step in and defend her from the monsters. And so, whatever world you have brought in with you this morning, uh, maybe you can find yourself in her shoes. The story begins like this. Early in the morning, Jesus came to the temple. All the people came to him. He sat down and he taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees, these would be the religious men, the Bible experts, the church goers, the church keepers, these are the shepherds of Israel, the righteous, the elite. They know the Bible. They know God. They know what's right. They know what's wrong. They brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. And placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law of Moses, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. What do you say? And the count of three, I want you all to point at her. One, two, three. Now you have to understand something. They're exactly right. This isn't some empty accusation. Keep those fingers pointing. She's been caught. This is a legal claim. She and whoever he was, don't know, were caught in the act of adultery. And according to scripture, should be stoned to protect the holiness of the community, to protect the sanctity of marriage. She is dead to rights. She's got about five minutes left to live. Legally, 
spiritually, biblically, they are in the right. To drag her out of the temple, maybe she has nothing on except the sheet they found her in, to cast her out of the city, and then to pelt her with rocks until one, prayerfully, she falls unconscious to the pain, and they pummel her brain till she's dead. They're going to use and abuse her to get at him. What's he going to do? Guys, you can put your hand down. It's kind of freaking me out a little bit. <laughs> this they said to test him, that they might give some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and began to write in the dirt. Can you see the tension building? They are accusing, they are calling out, they are justifying their position. Here she is, mortified, shamed, weeping, heaving. She is, she's as good as dead. And he continues to write in the sand, just writes, till eventually he gets up. Maybe he grabs a stone in his hand. Whoever is without sin, you throw the first stone. Some have taken that to mean Jesus is calling out their self-righteousness. As in, if you're so righteous and you're so sinless, you throw the stone. That's not what that means. Jesus is merely quoting back the legal responsibility. Whoever it was witnessed the act, it's your responsibility to throw the stone first. So whoever it was that saw the sin, throw the stone. Then he goes back and he writes in the dirt again. We don't know what he wrote in the sand. Some people try to play at, oh, maybe he was calling out writing their sins in the sand. I don't know that. Maybe he was writing down some Bible verses. I don't know. He could be playing tic-tac-toe for all I know. Hasn't said anything to her. And merely quoted back the law to them. But as he writes, in his presence, it says the accusers begin to leave. Starting with the oldest ones. And they walk off. So, beginning with the oldest ones, just make your way off. And Jesus continues to write in the sand. Where do they go? He says he stands up. The first thing he says to her, 
It's not, what did you do? It's not, where have you been? It's not, if you had finished high school. It's not, if you wouldn't have hooked up with him in the first place. The very first thing he says to her is, where did they go? Is there no one here to condemn you? And she says, no, Lord. There's no one. I don't condemn you either. Go. Sin no more. is this Jesus that could so captivate this moment at the end of which a woman is restored to her human dignity the legalism of the church is confronted the righteousness of God upheld. John works really hard at the very beginning of his gospel to tell us exactly who this Jesus is. And it's a Jesus that we need to grab a hold of with both hands in all aspects. This Carpenter turned rabbi who is in a moment able to chase away all the monsters and set this woman free. In her world, all she knew was that she stood at the threshold of sin and death. And in a word, from the word, she's free. John begins his gospel with these words. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. He was in the beginning. Some have said of all the verses in Scripture, New Testament and Old Testament, those verses are the most beautiful and most precious. And within them this morning, I want us to, I want us to see four things about who this Jesus is. Last week we talked about hope. This week I want you to see that the hope that we have is in the tremendous love, true, real love of God. The kind of love that stands next to an adulterer and chases the monsters away. So what does it mean in the beginning? How many of you, when I say in the beginning, immediately have a part of scripture come to your mind? In the beginning. What are you thinking? 
God created the heavens and earth. Genesis, right? That's where it's in the beginning. Dude, it doesn't matter how many flannel graph you grew up going to. It doesn't matter how much flannel graph you, you were teaching. It doesn't matter how many times you've been to the ark and seen Ken Ham's ark. Dude, you hear the words, in the beginning. You're not thinking the beginning of John. You're thinking the beginning of the book. Creation. The creation story. That's exactly what John wants you to think about. In the beginning was the word. Jesus is creator. The one crouching down here is the creator of all things. That's something to write down. That's something to hold on to. Creator. And God spoke. Everything was formless. Everything was void. It's chaos. The waters teem with serpents and monsters. The kind of monsters that knock in the night. And into that, God speaks light and life, hope, and a paradise is born. That's what God does. Where there's chaos, God brings light. Where there's death, he births life. And out of the waters, he raises up a paradise. No different than the chaos waters that that woman found herself in, encircled by those monsters ready to devour. Jesus gave her a land to stand on. He is creator, creator of all things, all things. Not just the one who creates life, but also the one that stomps on the head of the serpent. That's what we learn about in Genesis chapter three as the story continues. Humans, we have an amazing ability. You know what that ability is? Screwing it up, right? You've heard me say it before. Doesn't change. You're a human. You know what you do? Screw things up. It's in us. It's a part of our rebellious heart that give us enough time, we'll muck it up. And sure enough, here's this beautiful creation through which God wants to share in this sovereignty. He says, hey, you take care of it. You, you, we're gonna do this together. You're my image bearer. Let's, let's, let's push back the darkness. Let's create life. And humans like, this is an awesome idea. Let's be in charge. Let's kick him out and do it on our own. And in comes chaos and in comes sin and the serpent and rebellion. But even in the midst of all of that, the creator says, I will stomp on this serpent. I'm the creator. Jesus is creator. Who is this? Crouches in the dirt and plays in the mud. The same type of creating life. Where in your world because he has come into the world. That's what John says. He's come into the world. Where in your world this morning do you need Jesus to create life in the midst of chaos? Where do you have chaos this morning? Where do you have chaos? Where do you feel the serpents encircling and strangling? And where do you need the creator to stand up and say, hey, no. In the beginning was. Now that's a little of a metaphysical conundrum, right? How can you have an in the beginning and in the beginning there's a was before it? Because by definition, the beginning's the beginning, right? Right? 
Well, that's exactly what John is saying. Before our story started, he was. Jesus is creator, right? Say that, Jesus is creator. Say it. Second, Jesus is everlasting. Say that. Jesus is everlasting. Yeah. The beginning and the end, the first and the last, the alpha and the omega, yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Jesus is everlasting, which means despite whatever storm is consuming you, because that story, whatever that storm is, it's got a hold of you. Whatever that chaos is, that's, that's, that's all you can see, right? That's it. Jesus is before that. Jesus is after that. This was a big problem for the Jews as they bumped into Jesus because Jesus, it kind of looked like he was dancing around it, but he would make these statements. We're like, yeah, Abraham, I was before Abraham. I'm like, dude, you're like 30 years old. You're from Nazareth. How can you be before Abraham? He's like, hmm, drops the mic, off he walks. I'm like, what do we do with this guy? John wants us to know from the beginning, Jesus is everlasting. This was, a, this was also an issue for the early church. In 325, there were some controversies that were encircling the early church. 325 AD. So they said, hey, let's get together a bunch of bishops. We need to hack some things out and figure this out. So 300 bishops get together. Council's called by Constantine. He's the emperor. He says, hey, we need to figure some things out. One of the things on the agenda was we need to figure out the date for Easter. You're like, really? Like, that's, yeah, I mean... They just wanted to make sure they had it right. So let's lock in the date for Easter. Okay? When do we think it was? We're, we're backtracking on Passovers and lunar calendars. Like, we got to lock in Easter. But the other thing that they really needed to lock in was on the eternality of the sun. Is Jesus everlasting? There was another bishop who was there who's becoming very, very popular. And his name was Arius. Arius was teaching his disciples, Arius was writing, Arius was preaching that if Jesus is the begotten of the Father, then he has a beginning. He was born. He's not eternal. Well, that's an issue. And so ensued a great theological debate on what does the scripture say? Is Jesus the son eternal or is Jesus the son begotten? What does it mean to be begotten? And it got very heated great church fathers, men like named Athanasius are going at this theological debate. Arius on one side, Athanasius on the other. Everlasting, not everlasting. It got so heated, it is purported. I don't know if it's true. We do know that this bishop was there. One bishop specifically got up, walked across to Arius and punched him in the face. Who would do such a thing? Well, his name was Nicholas. You might know him as St. Nicholas. But yes, he was a bishop in a local community. And he took very seriously what you said and didn't say about Jesus. We should hold on to the fact that he is everlasting. This storm that's so consuming me right now. This chaos that has so swallowed me up. He is the first and the last. He's the beginning. He's the end. He was before my storm. He'll be after my storm. He's with me now. He's everlasting. In the beginning was. Was what? The word. The word was with. Jesus is personal. What's the first one? Jesus is. Jesus is creator. Right? You guys with me? 
We, we doing this? Jesus is creator. Second one, Jesus is. And last third one, Jesus is personal. He's personal. He's with. He was with the Father. He says that later in his prayer in John chapter 17. He says, the love that we have shared from the beginning, before the foundations of the world, that before our beginning, the Son and the Father delighting in each other in beautiful unity and relationship. There's a withness about Jesus. A withness with the Father. What does that mean? Imagine, if you will, that you're invited to a Christmas party and you want to go. Okay? This party is actually thrown by the Trinity itself. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Now there's always a question, when do you get to the party, right? You don't want to get too early, right? You don't want to get there too late, so you're kind of maneuvering. When do I get? But nonetheless, you walk in the door and you know what you find? It's hopping. It's happening. That you are clearly entering into a story that's already been at play long before you showed up. And it's a celebration of delight, joy, music, singing, dancing, happiness. You are welcomed into a relationship of joy already at play. That this party began long before you showed up. He was with God in delight. But the word was with. What's John saying? What's John doing there? To say word is to say communication. That he embodies God's communication. Because the way you communicate is a reflection of who you are. Right? I have three wonderful sons. I love them all so much. Lucas, my oldest, eight in the middle, and Jackson's next door right now. He's helping teach over in the blasting zone because that's how we roll, okay? Lucas, Aiden, and Jackson. If you were to send me three texts from my three sons and not show me their names, I could tell you exactly which son was texting me, okay? Why? Because each of my sons are so very different, so very unique, Okay, with Lucas, Lucas is classic XO material, okay? It's very black, white, these are the facts, nothing but the facts. Like, I answered your question, why are we talking? Okay, I love it. That's just the way we roll. Lucas, check in when you get there. I'm checking in. Okay, okay, that's how Lucas rolls. Then that's, Lucas appreciates the black and the white. Lucas appreciates everything in its place and a place for everything. That's the way Lucas communicates. Okay, then there's Aiden. okay. That's not how Aiden communicates. With Aiden, you're more likely to get an emoji, a picture, um, not words, letters, like L-O-L. Okay, I've had to learn an entire new vocabulary to communicate. Jackson is the one, not Jackson, Aiden is the one most likely to jibe, to, to poke, to joke. He's, the, he's, the play, he's playful at it. So if you show me a text, yep, that's Lucas, that's Aiden. Jackson, how are you, Dad? I was just thinking about you. I love you so much. Dad, thank you for all that you do. I mean, that's just, you're like, oh, Jackson. Jackson just communicates differently. Think Jackson just texts you whole books throughout the course of the day. That's just how Jackson rolls. All of them unique, special, love each of them so much. But their word communicates their character and their personality. Right? My wife... Well, I won't tell you what she texts me. (laughs) Or what I text her. (laughs) 
Happy wife. <laughs> Happy life. When John says the word, what he's saying is you can look at Jesus and now you see the very character, the personality, the heartbeat of God the Father. That's why when the disciples say to Jesus, hey, just show us the Father, we're fine. He's like, seriously, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. His actions communicate the love of the Father. His words communicate the love of the Father. What Jesus didn't say to that woman, what Jesus did say to that woman so often our perception of the Father is that the Father's over here doing this. That the Father hates us so much that the Father decided to murder Jesus so that we could get off the hook. That there is such love and compassion and loving kindness and patience and graciousness and mercy between the Father and Son, they will do whatever is necessary to wrap up the adulterous sinner in grace and say, please come home. Mm. There's a withness, a wordness to Jesus. He's personal. I was reflecting on John chapter 10 this morning. Each month, each day of the month, I, I read that chapter from John. It's the 10th, so I read chapter 10. That's not complicated. Um, and it talks about how his sheep recognize his voice, that he calls his sheep by name. I prayed that for you this morning. Wherever you came in from, that even this morning, as you began to wrestle with, oh, do I go to church? Do I not go to church? She keeps elbowing me. Oh. That in that moment, by the power of the Spirit, that the love of the Father would speak your name into your soul. The kind of name that only the Father can speak by Jesus. The kind of voice that responds, that calls the sheep out of sleep and say, hey, Let's go do something together. Jesus is personal. Personal. First, Jesus is creator. Second, Jesus is everlasting. Third, Jesus is personal. Fourth, Jesus is divine. He's divine. He's God. He was with God and the word was God. From the beginning, John wants you to know this isn't just a baby in a manger. This is God himself in all of his power, in all of his presence, in all of his capacity. He's the one that stands against the monsters and says, no more. He's the one that pushes back the chaos waters and says, land. I mean, how else do you explain that exchange? Here they stand in all their self-righteous legalism. They got the Bible behind them, man. She's dead to rights and they're right. The self-righteous shepherds of Israel 
with all of their pomp and all their circumstance and all their robes and gowns and fancy hats and massive awesome beards. I mean, all that stuff. And they stand here and they want blood. They're looking for a lynching. And they want to make Jesus tie the knot. Who but God? With such command and compassion would just sit there and draw in the dirt not play their game in fact threw him a stone you're right whoever saw it go to it I can't help but wonder If it wasn't that type of presence that arrested the hearts of those men, starting with the older men who are more likely to recognize that they'd crossed a line and they start to file off. It's always the young buck mavericks who have to justify everything by their self righteous theology. I bump into them all the time, they're so annoying. This is what the Bible says. And? God's not going to walk out on her. God's not going to leave her. He came for her. Who but God pushes the monsters back into the waters of chaos? Who but God stomps on the head of the serpent? And says, stop. And then with a playful question, where'd they go? What an interesting, that's the first thing he says to her. The first thing that he says to her, where did they go? Not wrath. But love. I mean, isn't, isn't that the word? Isn't it? The loving kindness of God. For God so loved the world. To remember that the one who is in the manger is the one who in tremendous love and compassion will carry my cross. And the greatest demonstration of monster slaying and serpent stomping, fully aware of all of my idolatrous, adulterous, unrighteousness. At no point does Jesus excuse her. Did you notice that? Did he say, it's okay, sweetheart. It's love. As long as he loves you and you love him, everything's fine. Who are we to judge? At no point did he justify her, her failure. Did he? What did he say? I don't condemn you. I came for you. He calls her to forgiveness. He calls her to repentance. Go sin no more.
this God, creator, everlasting, personal, God himself. Where in your world that you walked in with this morning, where in your world do you need to receive Jesus this morning? Is there chaos? Is there some storm? Do you just need to hear him call you by name? What do you need him to handle? As you stand here with all the shame pointing down and all the judgment pointing down, And he came into the world, but the world would not receive him. His own would not receive him. We learned that last week. But to those who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to be called sons of God. Believe. Jesus, I entrust myself into your hands. Make my world your own. Maybe that's you this morning. Or maybe you are here as a witness this morning. We learned about that a couple weeks ago. Can you be a witness to the withness of Jesus? That he wants to, others to know that he is with them. He is for them. To tell the story right. See, these men, whoever they were, had a moral responsibility. The same responsibility that all of us have. If you find someone who is caught in sin, who's overwhelmed by sin, you bring them to Jesus, not out of condemnation, but compassion. But by the grace of God, go I. To step in and say, hey, love you. Can I help you? I know someone who loves you best. Let's go to the creator. Let's go to that personal God. Let's go to the everlasting one. Let Jesus put the pieces together because the way you're going about it, it's just going to create more chaos, kiddo. Be that witness. Not pointing with a finger, but reaching with an open arm. How the world needs that. He didn't come to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. Take that as a charge or a responsibility this morning. Yes, in my circle, I'm going to be a witness to the witness of God's love. Thank you for sharing your time with us. And we'd love for the journey to continue. If you're a guest, would you consider reaching out to us? We would love to come alongside and encourage you in any way that we can. If you're someone who's joined us today and you are desperately reaching to find hope wherever you can, again, Jesus came that we would find hope. You can find hope today. If you want to send us a short note, a member of our hope team would reach out quickly, promptly to come alongside and see what we can do to encourage you in whatever storm you might find yourself in. That's why Jesus came. And that's why we're here. Jesus said there's two ways to live your life. And a wise man, a wise woman, builds their life on Jesus' instructions. God bless.